we're talking about, that's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Today we sum it all up and we bring it together. We've been talking about how we can have this happily ever after. It is a dream, I believe, that is within your heart. And if I could even say it this way, I believe that's just a little bit of the way God has created each one of us. To desire and to long for a lifelong, authentic connection where we are in a covenant relationship where we love each other and not just love each other, but we're happily married. Wow, what an incredible thought. Today, as we wrap it up and as we bring it together, what we're going to talk about is really, it's, it's almost one of those hidden secrets. I don't know if you're going to hear or have heard many messages about what we're going to talk about today. I don't know if you've ever spent much time thinking through it. But when you hear the principle, when you hear this little secret, you're going to go, oh yeah, I've seen that played out in people's marriage. Maybe for some of you, you're going, I've never even thought of that as being part of marriage. Maybe for some of you, you're going to go, whoa, that is weird. I don't know if I can actually do this principle. But the reality is this, is that at some point when you were dating, when you were first falling in love, as we talked about, you did it. You did it naturally. And it was part of your relationship. And now what we want to do is we want to make sure that it's still part of the relationship as we continue towards the end to be happily married happily ever after. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about certain key ideas and certain key concepts and and things that need to be in place in our lives. From the very beginning, we talked about that love is not just a noun. It's not just something like an adjective, but it's something you actually do. And we said love is an action. Do you remember us talking about that? That love is an action and it's more than just saying words and it's more than just falling into some deep emotional feeling, but love is an action that you have to choose daily to do or not to do. We also talked about that love is is for us as believers has to be modeled after Jesus Christ and how he loved us because he gave us the command to love. And if he gives us the command to love, then that means that we are in control of our hearts And that we are not victims of our hearts, that we are truly in control of our hearts. And we are the ones who choose to love in action. And only choose to love in action, we are to choose to love as Jesus loved. And you remember how he loved? That he served as if we were the most important. He put our needs ahead of his own. And Jesus served so much that he humbled himself and went to a cross and died in our place. And we talked about the principle how we need to bring this into our marriages and how that we need to serve others, serve our spouse as if they're the most important person. And that's tough. And then last week we brought out this bag and you remember us bringing out the bag? And we talked about really at the core of your marriage, at the core of my marriage, at the core of even all relationships, we have this certain thing that's called our heart. And the Bible tells us that we are to guard our hearts. Why? Because whatever is in our heart is there because of what we have either chose to pack or to unpack, depending on if we needed to get rid of it. Our bag is our bag. Our heart is our heart. And we're the ones who are in control of it. And and really, with Jesus' help, we can actually come in and we can actually deal with what's in our heart 
So then what comes out in our words and in our actions reflect him and his love more accurately. And so we set up last week at the end of the message, we set up a way in which you and I can start to monitor our hearts. You remember that? And the three things that we gave, the first two are not something that you do for your spouse and it's not something that your spouse does for you. The first two principles last week of monitoring our heart has to do with what? Us. It's our job and it's something that we have to do. Now, if you haven't heard any of these messages, I've just kind of wrapped it up real quick for you. I would encourage you, go online. We have them online and you can download those. They're free and they're there to help you and it'll allow you to walk through it. Maybe you want to pass it on to somebody else. And if these, this series has helped you, then maybe you're going, man, I wish my spouse would have been here for this. Yeah? Or maybe you're saying, man, I wish my grandkids or my kids could have heard this. Um, you talk to, to Clint or you put it on your connection card. We will we'll make you copies of this CD uh, series and we'll make sure that you get it out and you can have that so that you can pass it on so that it can be a help to somebody else. So here we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know this passage. If you would turn there with me, it would be uh, most appreciative. We're going to spend our time in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today. This passage is very familiar. Matter of fact, it's called what? The love chapter, right? Ooh, good stuff. So 1 Corinthians 13. This passage has been said and been quoted many times in weddings, wedding vows. Maybe it was even quoted at your wedding. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend just a few moments talking through this. Now, let me give you the scenario. Let me give you the setting in which this is spoken and written. Paul is the author. He's writing to the church in Corinth. The church at Corinth is a troubled church. The church in Corinth has many problems. And in the midst of Paul dealing with their problems, he writes the love chapter. It seems kind of weird, doesn't it? It almost seems as if Paul was mixed up in what he was supposed to be talking about. But let me reiterate, this is the word of God. And because it's the word of God, Paul was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he was writing the very words that God wanted us to hear. And in the midst of trouble and dealing with controversy, Paul brings it together and talks about love because love actually brings it all together. And it allows for you to deal with controversy correctly. It allows for you not only to deal with controversy correctly, but to handle it in a way in which brings God glory in the midst of the controversy. That's pretty amazing. So today, we're going to be talking about relationships. And as we talk about relationships, one of the things we're going to be talking about is controversy in relationships and then bringing 1 Corinthians 13 to life. You ready? You have your Bibles. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to ask that you go down to verse 4. Here's what it says. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect 
comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for, again, the opportunity together as believers. God, I want to say thank you. Thank you for the love that you have given us, that, God, it's been unconditional and it's been unmerited. We could not have earned it. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. And today, as we have sung our songs, God, I pray that it's been a sweet, sweet sound to you. And now, Father, as we go into this time of opening your word, God, I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would open our ears, open our hearts. God, help us to hear what we need to hear. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have freedom upon this place and in this moment. So that, God, we walk out of here knowing that we've heard from you. And, God, I pray that you'd then give us the courage to leave applying to our lives what we've heard. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So here we go. I'm going to focus in, and I want to spend just a few moments on only one verse. Now, there's a lot of different things we could talk through, and there's a lot of different principles we could pull out. I mean, good grief. Love is patient. We could just spend a lot of time right there on that one Word, But here's what I want to do. I want to go down to verse 7. Verse 7. And we're going to talk about one principle. And in this one verse, there are four different verbs that are given to describe this one principle. And this one principle, again, if I could say it, I don't know if I've heard, really heard very many messages, if ever, on this one verse. But this one key, this one secret, this one idea here, when it's applied to the marriage, can radically transform. Instead of you just staying in a marriage, it allows you to actually enjoy your marriage. You ready? Let me look at, let me show you. Ready? Verse seven. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. The principle is this. Love believes the best. And the other person believes the best. Let me just give you some definitions here so that we can put it into words that maybe we understand. Again, because this one verse has four different verbs, it, the faith here and the hope here cannot refer to our relationship with God. It has to come back to what is going on within a human relationship because it's all tied together in one main point that Paul is making here. So this one main point is that love believes the best. So what does it mean? Let me give you those four verbs, and let me give you it maybe in a different idea, maybe common language, so that we can understand it. Ready? The very first one, bears all things. Love bears all things. This, another way to say it would be, love never gives up. It never gives up. It's easy for love to be love when, when everything's going smooth. But you and I know, if you're going to stay in love for any amount of time, you can't give up. And there's going to be times when you want to. 
There's going to be times when you're going, wait a minute, time out. I did not ask for this. This is a little too difficult. Love never gives up. Let me give you another one. You ready? Believes all things. Believes all things. Here's another way of saying it. It gives the benefit of the doubt. Gives the benefit of the doubt. Instead of being suspicious of your spouse, you give them the benefit of the doubt. I know they screwed up, but they probably really didn't mean to mess up that bad. You give the benefit of the doubt. You actually give them some margin to say, you probably didn't mean to not pay the bills. That probably did really slip your mind, but I I, I know that for some reason it happened, so I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you weren't just trying to be that mean. You weren't trying to be that bad. Gives the benefit of the doubt. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Let me give you the next one. Here's the next verb. Hopes all things. Hopes all things. Here's another way of saying it. Desires the best. Maintaining optimism on the other person's behalf. Desires the best. Instead of hoping that they actually fail and that you can catch them again and that you can be right one more time so that you prove your point in the argument. Instead, now you're rooting for them, you become their biggest fan, and now you're hoping for the best. You're desiring the best for them. I hope they get through this. I hope they can do it. I hope they don't let other people down. I hope they don't let the kids down. I hope, and I'm just cheering for them, and I know you can do it. Don't, I know you can get through this. Becoming the biggest cheerleader for your spouse. Let me give you the next verb. Endures all things. This is perseverance with expectation of it's going to get better. With the expectation that it's going to get better. That this is not the worst that it's going to be. It's going to get better. There will be a day when we're not in this situation. There will be a day when it goes beyond. Endures all things for that. I know something else is about to come around the corner. And it's going to be better than what it is right now. Now, that's the principles. That's the ideas, and those are the verbs, okay? So here we go. Here's what I need to do. I, I want to make sure that we, we can understand this and put it into application so that you walk out of here. Because for the most part, we'll say, yes, we've done this. Yes, we can do this. I'm going to believe the best. But, you know, Heath, if, if, if I'm going to believe the best about my spouse, you realize that there are many times that they do fail. And this almost seems like one of those touchy-feely, wait a minute, if I'm supposed to believe the best, does that mean I can't have hard conversations? No. Matter of fact, let me use the same guy, Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He actually deals with a very big issue. The issue was this. There was a, a man in the church who was actually sleeping with his stepmother, his dad's wife. And the church was doing nothing about it. And you know what Paul does? Paul calls the church out and says, you're wrong and not dealing with the sin. And he also calls the young man out and says, you're wrong as well. You go to Philippians, you go to other New Testament letters that Paul wrote, Timothy. And you know what Paul does throughout those letters? When there's somebody who's in sin, constant sin, he calls them out. And especially if it's a public sin, do you know what Paul does? He doesn't leave it quietly. He actually calls it out publicly. 
And he actually deals with sin. So what I want to make sure you clearly hear me say before we move any further is, yes, you still have to have the hard conversations. And, yes, you still have to, to deal with reality. But for the most part, many relationships are not struggling with dealing with reality. They're struggling with not believing the best in their spouse. So here we go. Let me show you, let me show you this little diagram. We're going to have some fun for just a minute. I like to draw, not that it's good, and not that you enjoy my drawings, but it's okay. You can hang with me for just a moment because I think this will help us, okay? Here's what we have. We have on uh, any relationship, any relationship, we actually have certain things. Is it coming up yet? Ha-ha, perfect. I love it when technology actually works. I get so nervous about technology. Okay, so here's what we have. We have uh, on, in any relationship, we have certain thing called expectations. Expectations. Okay, okay. That's expectations. If you can't read my writing, I'm sorry. Hang in there for just a moment. Expectations. And then we also have what we see is reality. And what we have in between our expectations and our reality is this. You see this little blue box? This is what we would call gap. Now, it does look like the store gap, and it looks like that on purpose, okay? So ladies, don't get excited. We're not going shopping today. This is, we're just, hang, hang with me for just a minute. Here's what we have. We have a gap between expectations and reality. When you come into a marriage, and even as you have gone through marriage for any amount of time, you consistently have, here's what one person expects, and here's what really happens. I expected you to actually come home after your golf game instead of going to the store and buying another club. That's expectation. The reality was you bought another club, and you were out longer than you you were supposed to, right? Now, I know our men just went on a golf trip, and so I'm glad to see all of them made it back safely. And no, uh, you guys, nothing happened too, too bad. So we're glad to have them back. But expectations and reality. So here's what we have. Every time there's expectations, there's also going to be a gap between reality. Here's why. Because when I say certain words, my wife hears certain things, and her interpretation can be different than my interpretation. Are you following me? And so because I say something with a rough tone, yes, she can interpret it as there's feeling, there's emotion, you're upset, you're mad, and I'm going, no, I said all the correct things. My expectation was one thing. Her reality is something very different. Are you following? So there's a gap. Now, here's what we happen. Every time there's a gap in the relationship, here's what we have to do. There's something that's going to transpire. And we put it right now, right here, right next to the gap, and it's called believe. Every time there's a gap, in your mind and in my mind, we believe something immediately. And this is why we had to deal with the heart last week. Because out of the heart flows your belief. Are you following me? And because what flows out of the heart is this, automatically, if my expectations are not met and your reality is completely different than mine, in the middle of this gap, I believe something about my spouse. I believe something very quickly about her. Either she's done, ready? 
her worse. Worse. How do you spell worse? W-O-R-S-E? S-T. Worst. You know, I, you would think that I would actually have studied and prepared how to spell. I guess I missed that one. All right, so here we go. So worst. You believe automatically you're worst or you believe about her the best. And in the middle of the gap, every time, pay attention, every time that there's a gap, I have to automatically believe something. Either I'm going to choose that she did this on purpose and she's trying to get back at me or she's just an idiot. Yeah, I'm saying it out loud. Or I have to turn around and say, okay, you know what? She's not really not that bad. So there must be another explanation. Something happened. And here's what happens. When I begin to believe, I start coming back to my heart and my heart begins to unpack my stuff again. Are you following? So when there's this gap, automatically what's going to begin to flow out is this. What have I already trained my heart to think? I've either trained my heart that she's intentionally trying to make me mad. And so this stuff starts unpacking. And again, the Boston hat comes out and you're going, oh man, I can't believe that came out. And you start going, wait a minute, how did that come out? And that's why we had to deal with our heart last week. Because now when I get here, what I've been training myself to do is either I'm going to believe the best or I'm going to believe the worst about her. Are you following? So here's how it plays out. Here's how it plays out. So again, my, my, my wife, um, I, I pay the bills in the house. And so if I'm paying the bills and let's say I forget to pay a couple bills and I get those phone calls and they have her number and they call her and they say, um, we noticed that you're behind on your bill. You didn't pay it. Is there something wrong? The conversation when I get home is going to be something not fun, correct? The expectation and the reality. Now, here's the thing. Now, here's what she has to choose. She has to either choose to say, Heath, you're an idiot. You did this again. How many times have we talked? I can't believe you would always do this. Are you really trying to hurt us? Are you trying to hurt our credit score? I can't believe you're doing this. She has the choice to believe the worst that I'm trying to get us into trouble. Or she has the choice to say, Heath, they called. And I don't know what's going on. Obviously, you're busy. There's some things going on. I just want you to know I'm on your team, and here I am. How can we, how can I help you get this taken care of? What do I need to do? Is there anything that I could do to help? No, I'm sorry. Are, are you following? Believe the best or believe the worst. And here's what happens. Many times that we, we automatically assume that they're out to get us, and then we don't give them any margin to say, I believe the best for you. I believe the best that you didn't mean to intentionally. And what we do is we begin to belittle and hurt. And we, I knew you would fail. I knew, my mother told me this was going to happen when I married you. <laughs> right? My sister warned me about you. And it comes back up and man, it just it wells up. And here we are, we're unpacking and our, our, our junk is coming out of our heart and it's just flowing and we're believing the worst about our spouse. Can I say this? Let me, let me just say this. The last person your spouse wants to hurt or wants to disappoint is you. That's the very last person. 
They want to please you. And at some point in your past, the reason that you decided to get married is because you were believing the best. Yeah, my mom did say that about him, but she doesn't know him like I know him. And you saw the best in your spouse. You saw the best in that person that you wanted to marry. You believe, you know what? I know that this is the way they are right now. I believe they're gonna get better with time. I believe they're gonna actually be able to do something with their life. And you, you just were amazed. I'm amazed at how great she is and I married over my head. You, you, you believed it. Well, what begins to happen is the longer the marriage goes and the longer the relationship goes, the more gaps there are. Are you following? And the more gaps there are, the more you start saying, oh, wait, that's bad. Oh, wait, again, that's bad. Oh, I can't believe, oh, oh. And you begin to believe the worst. There was a study done. And in this study, they studied old couples that had been married for years and years and years. And here's what they found. The couples that were unhappy in the middle of their gaps, here's how they described each other. We're just different. She just doesn't understand me. He just doesn't understand me. We're opposites. The couples that were married and they were happy, here's what, here's what they did. They rated their spouse more, more, more times than none. Higher, is over 50% of the time, higher in a more positive way than the spouse rated themselves. So the wife rates her cooking as a five average. The husband would rate her cooking as a nine or a 10. It didn't mean that she was that good of a cook it just meaned, meaned that he believed in her more than where she was at. The husband, the wife would rate him kinder, gentler, a loving man, nine and 10. And he would rate himself as maybe a four or a five in his softness. What am I telling you? I'm coming back because here's what, here's what we need to understand. For couples to actually begin to actually go the long haul and not just stay married because here's what I want. I want for you and I want for me. I don't want you just to stay married. That's a great goal. That's good. But I want you to actually enjoy this thing that God has given you. It is a blessing. And if it's going to be a blessing, then here's one of the things you're going to have to begin to do is Believe the best in your spouse. So let me give you four things as we end. And these four things, these are action steps, and they kind of help us begin to, to lay out what we just talked about and what we just learned. These four things, number one, when you believe the best, when you believe the best, it communicates trust. It communicates that you trust your spouse. When you say it's okay. I understand. We all make mistakes. How can I help you? How can I help make this right? Is there anything I can do? I know you didn't mean to do this. Let me help you. It communicates that you actually trust them. Your spouse doesn't want to disappoint you. Next, action step number two, be willing to have the hard conversations. 
I have to put this in here. We have to come back to this over and over again. There does need to be times when you say, you know what? When you don't pay the bills, when you don't call, here's the problem that it causes. It causes this problem. So I I trust you and I want to be a team player with you and I want to be in this together. This is hurting our marriage. So how can we talk through this? And here's where it takes a great deal of work on the last three weeks. If you've been loving in action, if you've been serving as if they're the most important, and if you've actually been monitoring your own heart, when it comes time to have these hard conversations, you've already built up enough trust that they actually really truly feel that you are on their team, that you're not just tearing them down. And when you come to these hard conversations, yes, it's still hard. That's why it's called hard conversations. But when you have them, it allows you to actually see this next step. Look at this. The gaps bring an opportunity to grow closer. In the middle of these gaps, when you choose to believe, it actually gives you an opportunity as a couple to come together. And when you handle it incorrectly, when you handle it as if you're believing the worst, and then you begin to yell and scream and you begin to argue back and forth, here's what happens. Instead of growing closer together, what? You go farther apart. And you don't want to come home. And you don't want to spend time together. And you can't stand being around each other. But if you could understand that in the middle of these gaps, When you believe the best, it gives you an opportunity to actually grow closer together. It is amazing. It is amazing how God can bring a couple together in the midst of what what seems to be the darkest hour. He can restore. He can bring new life to that marriage. He can bring new life to that relationship. And it starts... By saying, okay, I'm going to communicate trust. And God, I need your help. I need you in the middle of it. Next, the last thing is this. When we handle our marriages the way God has intended, the way we've talked about this last few weeks, it's the best evangelism to our culture. I have to come back to this, and I want to, we spoke about it at the very beginning. It's the best evangelism to our culture. My kids are in different sports now. And as I'm around other men and we're, we're coaching, we're playing these little league games and all these different things, it is amazing how many times they put down their wife and they put down their kids and how many times they just don't want to go home. In the middle of all their gaps, they haven't learned to deal with it correctly. And when I talk about, man, I can't believe how great my wife is. They look at me as though I'm crazy. Hey, Heath, why don't you go out with us? No, you know what? I I can't wait to get home with my kids. We're going to watch a movie tonight. You're doing what? Yeah, we're watching a movie together. We're going to eat popcorn and we're going to have some fun. It, It blows their mind when they find a man who actually wants to go home. It blows their mind when there's a woman who actually loves her spouse and instead of talking negative about her spouse, she's talking positive. And let's be honest, you could find the negative things to talk about. But when you start building up and using your words to bring encouragement and to believe the best, the world stops and says, there's something different about them. And they want to know what that is and they want to know how to get it. And the only way you get it 
is when Jesus is in the middle of the relationship like we've been talking about this entire time. So here's what I want to do. I want to end with a personal story. All right, just I just I want to end here and I want to give you a vision and a glimpse and especially for the next service. When many have not seen or even heard of what we've been talking about. When I was in high school um, in 95, it's my senior year, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, I'm going to have a picture they're going to put up here. They had their 65th wedding anniversary. And it was one of those moments that you didn't, I didn't even realize that as a senior in high school, I didn't realize how big a deal that was. 65 years, it was something kind of, okay, 65 years, that's my great-grandparents. I'm thinking that's, that's cool. That was normal for me. And so over the next few years, I'm, I go to college and five years later, 99, my great-grandparents started really, their health both started really deteriorating. They had been married 70 years at this point. Jamie and I had gotten married that year as well. So it was our first year of marriage, and it was their 70th year of marriage. And as their health began to deteriorate, granddad's health was going first. He was actually more sick than she But what happened was she had a stroke and it actually caused her to have to have more help. So they were in assisted living and they actually kept him in assisted living and they moved her down to another wing of the the place that they were living into a care where she was getting care all the time. And every morning at six o'clock, he would be in his wheelchair and he would begin to roll his wheelchair down the hall at six o'clock in the morning he would get to her room because they couldn't stay in the same room anymore. Six o'clock, he would be down in, the, in her room and he would sit next to her all day and he would just hold her hand. And then when they came and told her, told him it's time to leave at 10 o'clock, they always had to kick him out. At 10 o'clock, he would then leave and they would take him back down. Jamie and I came in and, and got to visit with him for a little bit and just got to talk. And it was a sweet moment for me. I was just amazed at this love and this dedication. Her funeral was the first funeral I preached. After I preached, I got to go back. He didn't get to go to the funeral because they wouldn't let him out. Because now at this point, he was really deteriorating. So I come back. And I walk in the room and he said, there were several of us there, my dad and my papa, and we were just all around. He said, how'd the boy do? And he was talking to me and he wanted to know how the service went. And we talked. We drive away and we're going through Dodge City, Kansas. We're going because they were down the, the, the whole area of Kansas. If you've ever driven that, it's just long. There's nothing out there. Jamie falls asleep and we're just, I'm just driving by myself and just, just, thinking and watching and listening to what just happened. And I, I, what it began to do in my soul is this. It gave me a vision for how I wanted to end with the young lady who was in my Silverado Chevy pickup in the front cab leaning over and she was asleep and it gave me a vision for how I wanted to end my life. 
that I didn't want to just go through life. I wanted to end with still wanting to be in her presence. (laughs) To be holding her hand. Less than a week later, he passes and we make the trip again. He wanted to make sure everything was taken care of and he passes within seven days. And we go back out. And it was so moving. And it created in my soul a stirring that says that's more important than just staying together. My grandparents who were here just a couple months ago, they're nearing the 65-year mark. And they still love being together. I'm putting this out to you because here's what I know. I've seen it. And I've had people in my office and I've had people in the, on the softball fields or the baseball fields and the basketball gyms and in the volleyball courts. Men and women have asked, Heath, as a pastor, do you really believe it's possible? Do you really believe that it's possible for a man to be faithful his entire marriage? Do you really believe that it's possible for a woman to love the same man her entire life? Do you believe it's possible? And from the bottom of my soul, I'm standing here, I'm sitting here today, and I want you to know, I believe it's possible, and I believe you can have it. This is not something that is just a fairy tale. Yes, fairy tales end, and they lived happily ever after. And I want you to know that marriage has not been designed for it to be a ball and chain. (laughs) It's been designed so that you get to enjoy what God has given you, and it is a gift. And marriage reflects the way Jesus was the church. And when you and I, as Christians, begin to spouses that way the world will take notice and they will know that there's something different because we'll be knowing